church in the wardrobe is a delightful allegory of the Christian faith. The adventures of four children, two brothers and their two sisters, begin when the youngest girl, Lucy, hides in a wardrobe in a spare room and so accidentally discovers it really is a magic door into another world, the land of Narnia. Our brother Frank Day mentioned that story this past weekend at our leadership retreat. And he rightly so said it was a superb description of our faith. On the outside, our faith, what we believe, may seem as plain as an old worn dresser. But on the inside, it's a wonder beyond our imagination. This morning, I want to talk about the inside of the faith to see some, at least, uh, of what Scripture says the Christian life ought to look like. To step through, if you will, the wardrobe door, not into Narnia, but into the land of grace. Since the second Sunday in September, we have been making our way through the book of Romans, and we have seen that Paul has had a good deal to say to us about faith. It's the way into the kingdom of God. No one is able to enter any other way, and those who can do so are like thieves trying to break into a house. The front door, the only door, is like the door on a porch robe is the only door into the kingdom, and it is the doorway of faith. You must put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross when he died in our place to pay for our sins. And yet, once we do that, once you call on him, once you've asked him to forgive you and tell him that you want to follow him, well, then you enter the kingdom. You're in. You're in the land of grace. God himself has promised never to cast you out and nothing can drag you out. You've begun your journey to your forever home. But once you've entered that door, what does it look like? You're now in God's kingdom, the kingdom of light. The Bible says indeed that you have crossed over from death into life. You have gone from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. Life will not look the same. It will not be the same. It cannot be because you are not the same. You have been born again. You are a child of God. And not only so, but now you live in the light. And when you come to chapter 5 of Romans, it's as though you had stepped through that doorway into the land of grace for the first time. What you see from that point on in the book of Romans is what reality looks like from the inside as Paul describes it and explains it to you. What you find in the first five verses are five large landmarks. And when we understand them, we should, as we should, we should see them as kind of large mountains dominating the landscape. They're big there because they're big in our lives. But in a 
another sense, they're only hints, a kind of foreshadow of the things that are to come. Our present state, we just don't have the capacity to take it in. The grandeur of what lies ahead of it. It's like seeing God, seeing something of a magnitude such good would simply kill us outright and be a good death. Mistake about that, and we would die. But our God has further plans for us, and until they're completed, we will dwell in this body. Now, there's one more thing to say about this survey, about this land of grace, and it's about our eyesight. Now, figuratively speaking, we don't see as well as we should. Because of sin, we are a dim sight. The mountains of the land to us may only look like small hills. They may strike us as little things, inconsequential even, until we learn to see them with eyes of faith and our hearts sores because of them. So I want to ask you to join me once again, if you would, in the book of Romans, this time in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, uh, where we'll consider these things. And, of course, Jim will have the text up on the screen on either side. And that very first line in chapter 5, Paul has stepped through this doorway, and he's brought us with him. We read, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and we're going to stop right there for a moment. From the vantage, vantage point of the writing, Paul has brought us into this land of grace, but in reality, we have entered it by faith. And those words, we have been justified, are intended by the translator of the NIV to communicate the passive aorist tense. <laughs> Big words, I know, the Greek verb. But it emphasizes this point-in-time action occurring in the past, uh, and it's something that has happened to us. At some point in your life and mine, in the past, recently, or, or years, or even decades ago, Paul is assuming that we have trusted in Christ through faith, and we have been justified. And while it may seem to some to be stale and tired and even a pedestrian thought, still a simple kind of definition constructed from a play on words brings such clarity and simplicity to a complex concept that even a child can understand what justified means. It means justified never sin. Just as if I never sinned. When we put our faith in Christ, God treats us as though we had never sinned. Now we both, God hence and us, we know we have. But we both know sin is still a problem in our life. But God treats us as though we have never sinned. He justified us. We're in. By faith, we are in the land of grace. And the first thing that Paul draws our attention to is one of those mountains land, and he tells us that because we've been justified, we have peace with God. Verse 1 again, therefore, since we 
have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. You know, we didn't earn it. It comes to us because of our relationship with His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of our faith in Him. But we have peace. That's real peace with Almighty God. You know, it's a sad truth that many people in our day don't understand that sin, our sin, makes us enemies of God. But Paul talks about that in the next section. But but until we uh, trust Christ, we are enemies of God. And I say it that way, that we are God's enemies. Not that God is our enemy, although unless we come to him by faith, that is exactly what he will become. Yeah, but the way we live, if we live contrary to God, we live as his enemies until faith.
members of a family, and we got here by God's grace, and we remain here by his grace. It's where, by God's love, we belong. It's a place where everything comes to us because of God's favor upon us. It's a place where we feel and know
sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Without a doubt, in our natural state, this is the most fearful sight in all of the world. It's a reminder that we're not yet home. There is still sin on us and in our world, and we must face many trials. Our rejoicing comes because of what God does with our suffering. He uses them to develop in us perseverance. We've started, huh? The sufferings come, and we continue on our way to persevere. As we persevere, we become more and more the person God wants us to be. Our characters form, and it becomes obvious that we're Christians. Christ lives in us, and He's seen in us and through us. And real hope is born in the believer, not an arrogance, but a confidence in our God. There's a buoyancy, coolness, certainty, not in ourselves or what we can do, though it is who we are now, but in God and what he can and will do us. And from all of that comes us of the absolute fullness of God's love in us 
for us and flowing out of us. And it's what brings us through those times of suffering. So we read and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love, which is a, a love for us and a love for all other people, even for all other things, is poured out in our hearts. And that love comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And I have to tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person in the Trinity, and as such as God. He is not a thing. He is not an it. He is not merely a power or a kind of electricity or, or some misty, ill-imagined, undefined force. He is God Almighty. And he is every bit as much a part of God's plan as the Son is. It was God's plan to save his people from their sin by the work of Christ on the cross. And it is his plan also that we live the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as you cannot earn your own salvation, so you cannot live the life that you've been called to without the Spirit. It's through God's Spirit that he has poured out his love into your life. This is something he's done in the past. When you first put your faith in his Son, when, when he put his Holy Spirit in you as a guarantee of what is yet to come, which continues on into this day and will continue throughout time, even when you're not feeling it. This is fact. This is real. This is God in you. And maybe you can give it a better understanding of what Paul is saying here if you were to picture yourself as a temple or as one of our tiny little communion cups and, and being placed under the deluge of Niagara Falls, which is God's love for you and for others and for all creation, being poured out and into you. Such love is full. It cleans. It drives out everything that which is not itself, which is not love. It, it, it's meant to flow into us and out of us and all around us. The love of God Almighty is a mountain in our life. This is the land of grace in which we live once we have put our faith in Jesus. It's a place where we know peace with God, a place of fullness and where we know what we were made for. It's a place where we dwell in the favor of God, not like an employee, but as a child of God, loved and cherished by God. A place where we rejoice in confident expectation as we know it now and as we will know it in the coming glory of God, especially when he comes to live with us in heaven. A place where we can in our own suffering because we know what God is doing in us and we do not have to any longer stumble over the stumbling 
It's a place where love is intended to fill all to the fullest. But love will be everywhere, everywhere, and it will be environment Such is our destiny. Such is the plan Everybody would stand, please, and you can see what happens without a lead vocalist, so if you could be our lead vocalist today. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and 
all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified. Laid behind the stone, you live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all, like a rose. Trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Thank you for watching with us. Have a blessed weekend. Don't forget to come out on Saturday and help us decorate. I'll be mad if you don't.